on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there. Welcome aboard to another episode of The Big Fish. Coming up, a dream fishing adventure. How would you like to tour around our massive coastline, fish-rich coastline, in a camper van you've kitted out for yourself, catching fish all the way from Tassie to the top end? Well, you'll meet a young New South Wales fisherwoman who's done just that, and she's learnt to fish and feed herself along the way. It's a great story. Our first cast on The Big Fish. And you won't believe it, that fishing caveman, Stinker, has gone high-tech. Could you sustain yourself with fish or seafood you catch if you were shore-based and at a new fishing spot virtually every day? Look, I don't know about you, but I reckon I'd lose a bit of weight. Well, our first cast on The Big Fish is with a young fisherwoman who did just that while circumnavigating Australia in a camper van. What an adventure. I am so envious. And uh, she lived to tell the tale. Yasmin Martin is from the central coast of New South Wales and got back alive from that fantastic uh, expedition. G'day, Yasmin. Thank you for having me, Scott. I'm super excited to be here. First of all, you just love angling. Is that right? I absolutely do. I live and breathe for it now. And this trip was the trip of a lifetime, but on a bit of a shoestring, as many of us are. (laughs) So you decided to supplement the protein with fresh fish caught land-based. Absolutely. I realised I was in a bit of a pickle with how much I could work and uh, continue my travels around Australia. So I decided to take up fishing as a way to supplement my groceries. I believe your fishing almost paid for the trip. (laughs) Tell us the story. Yeah. Well, I was eating fish three to four nights a week. um, And it's incredible to see where I started and where I landed because I'd never fished before the start of the trip. Right. Mm. Right. What, What a learning curve. What a learning curve. And apparently... You were that close to paying for everything through your fishing. Tell us the story up in the top end. Absolutely. So while I was fishing during the Million Dollar Barra, um, I remember just being on and it was it. I, where, where, I knew. where were you? So I was at Mandora Jetty up in the Northern Territory. So a safe spot, not, not crocodile yeah. bait there. Look, it's 14 metre tides there. So you really have a good go at getting those deep sea fish. Yeah. Um, and yeah, luckily no crocs if you're careful. So were there a lot of people lined up on the jetty? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is with the tagged barramundi that's worth 10,000 big ones tax-free. And you thought, not only will I get a feed, but I could get the money to pay for the trip. Absolutely. So when I saw the angler on next to me and I got spat out um, and he reeled in the $10,000 barra, I was spewing. So it was a guy next to you? Yes. So you had a fish on? Yes. You felt the head shake? Felt the head shake, instantly spat out, and then he was on. And um, he was able to reel it in. So I just hope that at the end of my life, God can sit me down and just replay that highlight reel from under the water. (laughs) (laughs) So do you you believe that it was your fish and it it grabbed your bait and then ejected it and then grabbed his? Oh, look, I'd like to think so. (laughs) (laughs) And and he got the 10 grand. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Was the tag, did you see the tag? and? I saw the tag. Look, never stuck around to see whether he had claimed it and had registered, but <laughs> yeah, good on him. Did you give him a big smile? Said, oh, oh I'll clean that for you if you like. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you go? Did you feed yourself that day? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. What and, did you catch? Uh, queenfish up there, which oh, is beautiful nice. sashimi. Yeah, they, they love it in the islands for numbers too, that sort of uh, fish ceviche yeah. where they cook it with the, the lime juice. It's really a lovely fish for that. It's not so great cooked, actually. So you had it the right way. So were you gathering angling knowledge along the way from the locals, were you? Oh, absolutely. Locals and YouTube is where I got most of my <laughs> knowledge. And I tell you what, it was a steep learning curve. I vowed to eat any and any and every fish that I caught. As long as it was legal and, Look, and, of course, yeah. and not poisonous. Not poisonous, but when you're cooking up a carp and you've got no idea what you're doing to yourself. <laughs> oh, where was that? Oh, that was down um, in Victoria on ah, Lake Hume there. But poopy mudfish. No, poopy mudfish, but the Y-shaped bones, that's what got it for yeah. me, so I won't be doing that again. So no. you certainly learn through experience. So that wasn't the best meal? I would say no, that would be low on the list there and I wouldn't recommend it. But, but the, the um, Queenie offer the the jetty that would and they jump and carry on they're great fish aren't they just fabulous and just to have an opportunity to catch you know some big trevelli with those big tides there that Mm. would be one of my highlights from the trip for sure yeah they pull like crazy i bet you lost a few around the pylons oh absolutely absolutely what sort of pressure is there thinking if i don't get this big trevally or queen fishing, I don't eat tonight. I mean, that's a different mindset, isn't it, for fishing? It is. It is. And what I found worked is um, there would be days where you'd be catching plenty and then days where you'd you'd come home empty-handed. So I made sure to freeze a lot when I did (laughs) have them on. So you must have had a pretty decent camper van. Um, You had a freezer on board and... And cooking facilities sounds great. Yeah, that's right. And most importantly, a filleting station at the back with a hose to wash all that smelly oh, mess down. What a setup. Yeah. So where did you start? Where did you leave from? Uh, left from Sydney and went straight to Tasmania. And boy, that was great because having never fished before, you can throw anything in the water there and pull something <laughs> out. You had some great photos and we'll try to put some up on our Big Fish Facebook page and our podcast site. A beautiful big black brim there on, on sandy beaches and night, nice clear blue water. So they'd be very clean fish out of the top end of Tasmania up near Port Sorrel. They're, they're great fish. Absolutely. Um, and pulling mackerel out as well just to use for bait. Um, no one wants to carry around smelly bait, so very quickly learn mm. to salt preserve. So catch slimy mackerel and, and, and fillet then, them? Yeah, fillet them and then... Put them in salt, Scott, so that you you don't have to smell that. And then they sort of dry up. And then as you as they hit the water, you just get that freshness again. Oh, what yeah. a great bait. Nothing like slimy mackerel. They're yeah. fantastic. Very oily. Every fish in the sea wants to, to eat that. So you went to Tasmania, caught some cracking brim. And that, that was the start of this fantastic journey. Was that when the light bulb went on and you thought, yeah, I can do this. I can supplement my protein. Because um, then you need some veggies or some salad. And you, you're sad every night, aren't you? I'd really like to start with the first redfin that I caught and cried as I killed that fish. Um, and Where was that? That was in Lake Hume. So that was in yeah. Victoria on the way down to Tasmania. And um, for me, I really had to get okay with the fact that I was killing and catching my own food. Um, and that was a humbling experience because before that, I was very oblivious going to the store and just buying what, I, what, what was available. So when you catch your own fish, it's really humbling. You want to honour that fish and you really do um, suck the meat off the bones and enjoy <laughs> Enjoy every bit of it. <laughs> and how good a redfin? I mean, people here on the coast listening to this, I know our people west of the divide would know they're, and they're a really bad introduced pest. They put a lot of disease into our Macquarie perch and other native fish. So killing them and eating them is the best thing you can do. So you started with the most sustainable fish. 
and probably the most tasty freshwater fish. How did the how did the redfin? And if you get one, you usually get a few. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, really good for a brand new fisher person. Yeah. So how did you prepare the the redfin out of Lake Hume on the? Uh, on the Murray above Albury. Oh, look, pan fried, sometimes with a bit of flour on each mm. side, but it doesn't need much. It's just such no. a simple, beautiful, buttery, sweet fish. Actually, I think it might be on the Mitter Mitter, actually, <laughs> <laughs> the, the river that runs in, which is full of big trout, and there are a yellow belly in Lake Hume as well. So, And you've got a carp. Yeah, that's right. But you've got a redfin, so, and there's no size limit no. on redfin, so you can... Oh, that's well. That's a good start, isn't it? So yeah. th- you were really happy with the, how they came up. Absolutely. But back to Tasmania. I mean, having yeah. The, so you jumped on the spirit of Tasmania, and off spirit. you went. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and yeah, that's really where it took off because the Aussie salmon just run through Tasmania oh, beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they generally get a smaller run of, of Australian salmon, but they're nice to eat. They're okay, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. You learn to prepare them in a way that tastes really good. So, so what was your Aussie salmon uh, recipe? Uh, barbecue. Yeah. Um, in tin foil with some butter and garlic. Oh, very nice, very nice. So you really whacked the fish in Tassie and they had a good drive around? You didn't catch any trout? No, no. So uh, freshwater fishing is something I'd really like yeah. to... Well, all you need is to get a shovel, dig up, <laughs> dig up some worms and throw them in anywhere. That'll catch your cod. And, and cod take cheese too. So there's a tip for you next time you go out back. So then you followed the coast around after Tasmania. Where did you go? Then I went north and that's where I went to far north Queensland. Um, fishing there was pretty good as well. Um, but it Big re- tides too, big, big tides. tides. Big mm. tides, and often when you're travelling, unfortunately sometimes you're at the wrong end of the tides, so you mm. do miss out, but you keep going. And, um, yeah, uh, some beautiful Spanish mackerel off Bowen. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that, that uh, jetty at Bowen is just epic. Golden Trevally Spanish mackerel. That, that'd that be a bit of a highlight, wouldn't it? A, a land-based Spaniard. And there's so many people listening to this that think, Gosh, and this is all land-based. You know, what What if she had a little car topper or a little boat? Yeah, that's certainly the dream for the next So what lap. was that like, catching a Spanish mackerel off the off the pier at uh, Bowen? Oh, just the fight and, you know, learning that you need a wide trace because you just keep getting bitten off and not knowing what's happening, you know? Yeah, it's just, so they were on. It's on. And yeah. they weren't – I saw the photo of that. It was a, a decent-sized Spaniard, but it wasn't huge. It wasn't one of the ones that had the Sigatura. So they're really good. They're really good to eat. You would have – eaten well in Bowen that night. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Always blowing in Bowen too. It's quite a windy spot. I've, I've done a bit of fishing there. That's right. And then further up, Townsville, there's some great, around the Townsville Strand, there are some fantastic um, fishing stations for visiting anglers like yourself. Did you have a fish uh, around there? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, really enjoyed Angus Waters as well. Agnes yeah. Waters a- Agnes Waters. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, 1770. I think it's the last spot surf sort of gets in before you get to the protected by the reef and Lucinda Wharf did you have a fish off Lucinda yeah, Wharf yeah yeah how good is Some that whiting there actually oh whiting yeah, yeah they're, they're great they're great they're, they're a good feed aren't they so were you gathering local baits how were you gathering the information about how to catch whiting up up at Air or North Queensland? Well, I, I tell you what, Scott, that was a lot of um, different fishing licences I needed to <laughs> attain and a lot of different apps that got downloaded. Yeah. But yeah, um, a combination of local knowledge and also just checking in on the, the apps that are available for the state. And did your gear evolve? Because if you're catching big mackerel and queenfish and then catching little whiting and, and brim and other, you know, estuary species, a flathead, there's a fair variance in what gear you need you need heavier stuff don't you off those 
when you're tangling with queenfish and, and Spanish mackerel. That's right. It's ever-evolving and you're constantly learning of these new little tricks and um, little bits of gear to collect, so absolutely. We're speaking with Yasmin Martin, who uh, jumped in a camper van and covered the whole nation, went right around uh, Australia and had this um, great idea, this great ethos to catch as much protein as she could for herself uh, to sustain her. And, and she came back alive. It was <laughs> terrific. So she'd been around Tasmania, inland, catching redfin perch and stinky carp that probably the only fish that uh, didn't go down too, too well. So uh, then how far around did you go? Did you go to the through the, the Gulf Country and then up to Darwin? Yeah, that's right. And I really want to highlight my favourite spot, which was um, Exmouth in WA. I was really chasing some emperor, some Spangled Emperor there, just wanted to try that fish. And I remember being on, but due to all the coral and the reef there, I got tangled oh. and I thought, you know what, I'm not letting this fish go. So I passed my rod to my friend, put on the old snorkel gear, <laughs> followed the line out, untangled it, um, and then raised my thumb up to say, yes, reel it in. And I tell you what, to see that fish from underwater just go zoom past me, <laughs> whole new appreciation. What a great story. What a, And how good are they to eat? They're beautiful. And they look beautiful too, don't they? Absolutely. That's so good. A spangled emperor in Exmouth. So the coral close to the shore. Um, a lot of big crocodiles in some of that country. Um, shore-based angling too. It's it's quite, um, you've got to be really careful about that first, haven't you? That's right. It's important to understand and just protect yourself um, with the land and, and respect uh, the fish that you're catching too because you never yeah. know what might spike you or hurt you. Yeah. yeah. So did you catch a fair good a feeder fish there at Exmouth? Yes, yes. That was one of the most successful spots. So lots of uh, coral and tropical species? That's right. Any that's coral right. trout? or Oh, one, one, ah. which was just beautiful, and some snapper too. Oh, lovely, yeah. lovely. Just so, yeah, that's a crossover area, isn't it, for pink snapper or, or you know, what we call snapper? And um, I think up in the north they call... A finger mark brim golden snapper mm. or something. Did you get any of those? No, unfortunately oh, not. I wish you'll I could have to go yes. back. Oh yeah, <laughs> they, they are a great species, a great species. So then heading down the west coast, uh, how did things go as you got closer to Perth? Oh, really, really good in Perth for mm. Taylor. And yeah. whiting again. Whiting yeah. are good there. Tarwine, yeah. whiting. That's right. That's right. Um, no dewfish, which I'm a little sad about. But as you said, just another reason to get back there and give it yeah. another crack. Yeah, that's your D-H-U fish. That's yes. Right. Wow. It sounds like you were on this incredible learning curve. And, and that imperative to catch food, it's a, hunger's a good driver, isn't it? It is. It absolutely <laughs> is, Scott. And, and uh, so you'd, you'd catch the fish, you'd, you'd put them in the fridge or freezer, freeze what you couldn't eat, and then that would keep you going for a while? That's right, yeah. So Exmouth and all the good uh, Spangled Emperor and Coral Trout and things probably got you down to about Carnarvon or something. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And what about going around the bottom? around Because that's pretty wild, that coast down there. A bit hard to find land-based spots there. Oh, Did you go all right? Find this... some beaches? Because big salmon down there, great big... Uh, there Salmon. are. Oh, the southwest corner was just beautiful, as was Esperance and mm. Albany. Yeah, so you, you can angle there for sure. Um, I think what was challenging was the weather. Yeah, you windy, know, you, you windy, need good yeah. weather. Yeah. yeah, so that was, um, you know, a, a factor. Um, how many fish a week do you think you caught? I mean, did you catch enough to keep you going? How many meals do you think you got out of fish a week? Uh, definitely ate three nights a week for sure of fish yeah. and then supplemented the rest, yeah, with... 
um, stuff from the store. Yeah, yeah, and mm. so you'd buy fruit and vegetables and and salads or or baked vegetables, and uh, that was good enough with a nice slab of. Uh, you're making me hungry. A nice slab <laughs> of spangled emperor would be great. And then so around the Gulf and uh, round towards Victoria. That's right. Um, Streaky Bay was absolutely beautiful, just on the Nullarbor there. Mm. Uh, just so. What much. did you catch? Did you catch anything there? Yeah, uh, there was a lot of leather jacket there that were quite nice for eating. They're good, yeah. yeah. Leather jacket are great. Yeah, and again with the brim and yeah, Your fingertips go all, all you're sandpapery when you're peeling them and you just peel the skin off, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And how did you right. do your leatheries? Did you? Uh, that was, again, just pan-fried. Yeah. I, I kept it pretty simple. In butter? Um, yeah, mm. in butter, a bit of garlic. Yeah. A lovely white fish leather jacket. Mm-mm. And they do bite you off, though. They have those tin-snip <laughs> teeth. Did you work that out? Yes, yes. Wow. Um, also caught an octopus down there, so that was interesting to cook up and, and eat as well. Yeah, the Greeks love those. I've never e- eaten an octopus I've caught. I've eaten octopus that other... I usually let them go because they look at me and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, they got pretty feelings. smart. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, when you're hungry. Yeah. So what did you do with the octopus? Uh, so I uh, kept that in kiwi fruit just to tenderise oh, it. Yeah, yeah, the acid overnight. in the kiwi fruit. That's right. And look, I think I did... Um, overcook it a little bit so if i do get the chance again i'd be really grateful to um cook up a better meal that was it a bit rubbery it was a little bit rubbery but (laughs) still you just got to eat what you catch (laughs) yeah yeah fair enough that's just so good yeah that's right anyway it was protein (laughs) was it a big hockey it was yeah got a couple of meals out of that boy right right oh good stuff still chewing it but uh, (laughs) then around to victoria anything in victoria Uh, did you you, didn't get any king george whiting no, oh, that's a shame. No, that's yeah, they're they're the mega list. mega whiting. Yeah, yeah still but but lots of sand whiting and lots of which, which and lots of flathead. Oh, how good a flathead! Tell us about the flathead fishing. Oh, the blue spot. Tasmania's got them, and and the uh, that southern coast has got a lot of them. That's right. Uh, there's just, just always plenty of flathead wherever I went, so I felt like that was one of the staples. Yeah, oh, you just can't so easy. Beat to... it. Did you ever do flathead and chips? You ever put chips? Yeah, on? for sure. <laughs> um, and you know, using the little cheek component as well, so oh. making sure to use the full amount of yeah, what was available. utilizing yeah. and the flaps are nice on a bigger flathead too, aren't they? They're yeah. like the, they're like the, the drumsticks. That's fish. right. <laughs> yeah, we must have got some nice size flathead. Yeah, yeah. To eat the cheek meat, they must have been big enough. Ah, they're great. And what about gathering bait? So you were collecting and salting. Uh, if you've got any slimy mackerel or any bait fish like yellowtail or whatever, you'd 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 hang on to them or tailor. And and was that a part of the fun too? It was, yep. And then um, salt preserving squid as well. And then trying to catch liveys with that to mm. use for the bigger. Did you fish. catch any squid yourself? No, you this is something some. I've never ever caught. That would really love to love to. I've been on the jetty while people either side of me are catching them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've obviously got a squid jig on, but yeah. I just mustn't have the technique They're down great, yet. Great to eat. They're absolutely fantastic mm. to, to eat. Um, we're speaking with Yasmin uh, Marden, who had this incredible adventure as a, a keen fisherwoman, but really hadn't fished. And by the time she'd circumnavigated Australia, I reckon you were pretty experienced. Uh, tell us about the way your gear evolved. Yeah, so started off with just Kmart rods and um, <laughs> kept it simple. And then from there, you know, started to understand what um, weights I would need and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, the gear just evolved from there. Did you go to local tackle shops? Because that's a really good source of local info sometimes too, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Just to have a chat with the locals and find out what they do for fishing in the area um, and what they recommend. Because being on the move constantly, you don't have time to really situate yourself and, and understand out, yeah. yeah where the spots are for yourself so you've got to rely on local knowledge and sounds like you're really keen now to try 
squid jigging, uh, soft plasticking, but it was real bait fishing, wasn't it? You were you had to catch a fish, so you were a bait fisherwoman. Is that right? That's right. Yes, I think the next challenge for me would be moving away from bait and moving into soft plastics and lures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great stuff. Look, I, I'm very keen to take you out and uh, pump some nippers, and we can have a go in our local estuary. Now you're back home, but. What an adventure. What an adventure. And the photos are great. That Spanish mackerel off the wharf at Bowen and the beautiful queenies and the brim in Tasmania. I just think you've done something. I would die to do what you've done. I just think you've done the best thing ever as a fisher person. I'm sure people listening to this will say, wow, good honour, you know. Thank you, Scott. I really encourage everyone to get out there and have a go. It's really beautiful what you can do. Yeah, um, and all land-based, you know, catching those beautiful fish off the shore. That's You're pretty good. Yasmin, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott. And sharing your wonderful fishing adventure around this great country. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Saturday is a very fine day to do a little work in the yard. But when the sun is shining away, it makes the work too hard. It makes the work too hard. Worms out of the side. Put them in a can and go get a rod. Let's go fishing for a day and a half a mile. Ticket for my destination Since the day I was born I'm on the 437 In a bus car like a hobo on the run And if today is the first day Of the rest of my life Then let it roll Cause I'm moving up To the fishing town Where rub boots and the flannel shirts are Stowed away, there ain't no window seat. There's a fella playing solitaire, and he bets against himself, and then he cheats. And there's another guy who's got his eye on a piece of pie, which is just a photograph. It seems that everybody's dreaming the dream of how to get what they need.
Central, and I'm heading north. And I've had this ticket for my destination since the day I was born. Good morning, Stinker. Hey, good day, Scott. How are you going? I'm not too bad. I hear you went out last night in a wild swell and, and did all right. But let before we talk about the trip and uh, the gear, what do you think about before you go? What What are some of the factors that you take into account before you decide to launch? Because you've got to be careful out there in the sea in a 11-foot tinny. Well, that's a very interesting question and something that if you do often enough, as I have done over the last 40-odd years, um, you don't, everything just sort of, you, you don't really sit down and have a list. It just goes through your mind. There's all the things that need to be put in place before it increases your chances of catching the fish. So for me, the first thing I do is go to a bomb site, uh, anyone you like, but I, the one I go to is from Williamtown Air Force Base. Now, if they don't know what's going on, we're in all in trouble, aren't we? Well, that's just very, very local for you too. It's just a hop, step and a jump down the road. That's correct. So that, I think that's good enough for me. So what I search for, I look immediately for the wind strength and the direction of the wind. I've got to take that into account. It can't be too strong, but I want wind. Wind will hold me into place, in place when I anchor, and I prefer something northly or southerly. What I don't want, really, is a westerly and definitely not an easterly. Oh, no, I stay home in easterlies. But then I check out the swell side. Now, you don't want it to be calm. I don't like go fishing when it's calm. It's just... Um, it doesn't produce anything except having an, a nice, you know, cruise around and just lay in the sun. But as far as catching fish, for me, I, I don't go when it's calm. So around about oh, one and a half to two metre swell is good. Uh, I need a, a tide change. Uh, I need to know when the tides are and the height of the tides, the highs and the lows. And then I finally check out when the sun is setting and last light. 
So they're the first considerations that I take into account, uh, Scott. Yeah, very, very interesting. So you're, you're quite calculating. What were conditions like last night? Was it did all oh, of, all of that yeah. information uh, you know line up? Well, well, I'll, I'll explain that to you in a second. Oh dear, but see, there are a couple of uncontrollables, and that's the temperature of the water and the direction of the current. See, so they're, they're things you don't know when you get out there. You don't know what it's going to be like in that. But so you just take a bit of a punt there. And I never worry about uh, barometric pressure. You know, some uh, adhere strongly. Oh, to some people live and live and die by it. If the barometer's not rising, they don't go out. Uh, they That's they right. really many anglers really believe strongly about a rising barometer being the only time fish will bite. Well, yeah, well, that's true, you know. And I, well, I don't even know how to use it, so I just keep away from it. <laughs> I think you'll find that on the Williamtown site as well, barometric pressure. <laughs> well, I don't know. I haven't tried, you know. I just know. I don't go there. Well, I, anyway, think, I think sometimes how you hold your tongue when you cast has yeah, a bit to do with it. That's the way. That's the way. So anyway, so perfect the perfect conditions for me is a change of tide on sunset. I need a southeast breeze for where I, my favourite, my new favourite spot. I like a southeast breeze or a southwesterly. But anything with south in it, I love that medium swell uh, and a current running with, with the breeze. Now that's very important that the current and the breeze go in the same direction. Now for, and also if I can get water. Oh, 19 degrees, 19 degrees plus. Well, you know, this all gets com- into my computer, into my mental computer, without me really thinking too much about it. But the, one of the most, um, well, crucial uh, pieces of information you need is to ask the other part of your family, am I required elsewhere? <laughs> Are there any deaths or marriages that I need to attend to? <laughs> yeah, you know, any social engagement, and nothing drives me crazier than when I find out that everything's perfect and I'm ready to go. Oh, look, we've decided to go out for tea with the neighbours or something. I go, oh no, <laughs> tell the neighbours I'm sick, you know, or something. <laughs> he looks real sick. He's out there off Fingal Head in his boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit hard so to hide. So if everything falls into place, well, then you go. And, of course, there's another way of looking at it, Scott, too. I can just look out my window and say, yep, that's good enough, and so I go. So this is me. I'm out there. I've packed my boat, Esky and Ice. I've got my bread burly, landing it. I've got the two rods. Now, this is interesting, Scott. I've changed my approach. I'm going about it a different way. I'm now using... Short rod. I mean, remember I used a long. Yeah, look, rod this is this is shock, shocking, shocking to me. I, I loved, I loved the simplicity of, and I, the good thing was when I do go fishing with you in the old days was just bring your alvey and your beach rod, Scott, and that will do. And and we use that Broughton Island method, but now you've gone all high tech with bait runner reels and egg beaters and and braid. You've even gone to braid. I mean, this, oh, I what has happened to you, Stinker? Why have no, you become I... this modern man all of a sudden from a caveman? <laughs> well, oh, look, to tell you the truth, it's all been brought on by laziness. Now, what? You don't have to hold your rod. You know, 
I mean, with the long rod and everything, you've got to hold your rod, you know, again, you know, it's a bit heavier, and oh, I'm thinking, look, I want to make life as easy for myself as I possibly can. So I've got these two short rods of a 20-pound line. I use a 6 hook, no lead at all, absolutely no lead at all. I'm in about 30 foot of water, and I've got this beautiful little um, bait runner that I got recently. It was like a washing machine. It was popping and whizzing and bumping and slapping over the side of my boat. And I thought, oh, no. Well, I'm also, I'm going anyway. So I just go slower, Scott. You go very slow, you know. You're doing less than four, four knots. And you just motor. We've got a nine-horsepower motor and an 11-foot boat. And I'm out at sea and I've, I've come across a grumpy sea. And, and I don't mind big swell. That doesn't bother me at all because it just rolls gently and you, you're, you're okay. But with this joggly stuff, oh, gee, it's <laughs> so uncomfortable. Anyway, I finally got to where I go, which is the best fishing spot I've ever found. I dropped the anchor and then I burlied up and then I tossed out my um, two rods and then I stuck them in the rod holder and I sat back to observe how things were and how uncomfortable it was and realised that I never took a bailing bait thing, a bailing bucket. tin with me, yeah. bucket, and I did notice there were a bit of waves flapping over the side. So I said, oh, dear, oh, dear, you know, and uh, it was like I was at a rodeo <laughs> and I was, you know, Riding the worst horse in the bloody and you, in the show. And you took a bit yeah. of water over the gunnels. She she started to oh, fill up a couple of times. But see what takes away all your concerns and all your discomfort is when you get a bite. <laughs> and the reel and the rod goes just buckles over like, and the line is tight. You get that magnificent sound, and everything else you forget. You don't care if there's a tidal wave coming. <laughs> and anyway, you grab the rod, the rod out of the holder, and I ended up, I, I, I got 10 beautiful snapper. Now, again, I don't normally take my bag with me, but because I've also stepped up and got one of those vacuum, whatever you call them, vacuum patch, you know. Oh, yes, you yeah, the, the machines that... Cryo, yeah. cryovac them and then cryovac, you and yeah. then yeah. it does a little melt along the line. I've got one of those and it sucks the air out and you've got these beautiful fillets that don't freeze or burn. That's right. Now I've never eaten my wife and I have never eaten frozen fish and because if I eat fish I go and catch them. But now when you get these beautiful fish you think, gee, uh, and I've tried it, I've cooked the fish after it's come out of that vacuum pack and it's fantastic. Yeah, it's they're really like, good. They're it's really good. They're really good. So that's been terrific. So I um, I started fishing at five o'clock this on Wednesday, and at about quarter to seven, the wind blew straight around to the east, and I had I had um, my bag limit. So and this was at seven o'clock. I was home by about quarter past seven um, when it was still sunlight. And I had the, the, as many fish as I needed. Oh, dear. But then I got on shore. I finally dragged the boat up onto the beach. But then I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this tinny? I was, I felt like I'd been three rounds with Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you pulled the bungs out before you tried to haul it off the beach. It would have been a bit of water on board. 
Yeah, there was a bit. There was a bit. We're speaking but, with um, Stinker, who's who's gone high tech, going from mono and Albi sidecasts and, and longer rods, tying the braid to mono. You've got to work out different knots. The Slim Beauty's a good one, but um, is that something that you've had to uh, had to an old dog learn a new trick? Yep, that's one, and it takes me so long. <laughs> it takes me long. All my other knots I can do with my eyes closed. But when I try and uh, link them both up, well, that's something that'll come easier as time goes by. But, yeah, I've, I've moved on. I haven't gone full plastic, which is a, and I don't intend to go there, But because I'm a real bait man. Really, I'm a dinosaur that's been dragged into the modern era of, of, of fishing. Um, and, and it's everything I give up. Uh, it's like pulling a tooth, you know. It's painful. But um, no, I'm slowly, but then again, I'm getting lazier and I'm finding easier ways to do things. See, I don't have a GPS and I, and I don't have a depth sound. I don't have any of those things. I just line up by the trees or the lighthouse or whatever. Um, but the, amount, the fish, the quality of fish I'm catching, is, 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 they're just beautiful and they're big, broad-shouldered and bright-eyed. But the interesting part, I think, of the whole experiment was that, I mean, everyone talks about, okay, what's the best bait for snapper? It's been a, an age-old question. And I've even changed there because I, I, everyone starts off with pilchard and squid, you know, and that's good bait. There's no denying that's good bait. But then if you can catch a live slimy mackerel, oh, wacko, you're in business a live slimy mackerel however they're not always available but you can generally catch yellowtail so i had six frozen yellowtail and um a couple of handfuls of big prawns that's all i had with me and i diced the yellowtail the head the shoulder and then another cube so you get three good big baits out of each yellowtail you don't tilt it you cut it a crossway and use it as a block. And this is the craziness about it. Then you pin your 6 hook through the top of the block of yellowtail. It doesn't even look like a bait. Everyone says, oh, I can seal the hook and do this and do that. Well, this goes totally against all that. You've got a hook with a, a bit of yellowtail, a, a cube of yellowtail dangling off the hook. No lead, and over it goes. Throw it out into the strike area, and whooshka every time. Um, and so I used those six yellow tails, and I caught. I think I caught two snapper on the prawns, and I got eight others on yellow tail blocks. So that's an interesting. That you know you won't hear that too often. It's a, and it's surprising. I caught one snapper there last night that wouldn't be as big as the palm of your hand on a, on that bait. <laughs> you know, um, how can a little how can a little snapper like that that you immediately treat tenderly then throw back into the ocean? But how can you catch a fish that there wouldn't be two hundred and fifty grams? Wow. And on a six o. On a six o. And uh, yeah, so the most of my fish were around about forty centimetres, um, I never got, like, you know, I normally pick one up three to four kilos there, 
but not on Wednesday. They're all around, and because a 40 centimetre snapper is, I reckon, the best in the sea. You know, I mean, I catch my snapper to eat. I don't catch them to let them go. I catch them to eat. What about the bug on the yellowtail's tongue? Have you ever? <laughs> oh, that thing! Oh, yeah, no, that thing. I don't like what? those things. Do you? Do, oh, they gave me the heebies. I used to have dreams oh, yeah, as a kid. Like, my big yeah, brother like said the, that he put one down my throat once when I was asleep. Yeah. Now, what were they called? I haven't seen one of those things for ages. Haven't you? Yeah. They're no. Usually in yellow, well, the yellow tail. The doctors, doctors. Doctors, doctors. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't seen a doctor for ages, and I used to always get them in yellow tail. Um, Always. Yeah, they like a, um, what do they look like? They're a bit like a trilobite or a, yeah. um, look some like, sort of an insect. They do look, yeah, like a segmented bodied bug. They're a weird yeah. looking thing with yeah. little black eyes. Oh, I don't like They're them. Parasite. Yeah, parasite. They They're are. Parasite. I haven't seen, look, it's amazing you mention that because they used to be regulars. You do, you out of every half a dozen yellow tail you catch, you'd always catch one that had a, a doctor in it. But I haven't seen a doctor for 10 years, I don't reckon. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it is good for the yellow tail. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but, oh, no, so I'm back in action. Oh, dear. And, but my back was a bit sore when I, I woke up next morning. I thought, oh, gee, you know, because yeah. it really does give your back a pounding. Um, now I've got a pillow, but it slips always slips out from underneath my backside and falls into the water. <laughs> so I'm sit most of the time sitting on a wet pillow. But look, it might be uncomfortable, but really, it's exciting, and I've never lost the excitement. And I hope I well, I never will. And I, it's just the excitement of fishing. Hey, one but, one when one question before before you go. Now that you've gone high tech, when you set the new rod with the the uh, bait runner line, so you've got the drag at the back, you know, to let them take it. Any change in the way you hook fish? Because there's so much sensitivity when you're holding the alvey in your hand. You know, have, have you changed the method of hook set? Because, or you're just waiting for them to, to take it and run with it before you lift the rod? Well, actually, I, I haven't hooked a fish for a long time now. Every fish I've caught has hooked themselves. You know, it's amazing. With a bait runner, well, I haven't used, I haven't let it off to let them run. What I do is set it on, on full drag, and so when they hit it, they hook themselves. And then all, then the biggest battle and the biggest challenge is to get your rod out of the rod holder because if you've got a heap of pressure on that rod, and line, it pulls down to the butt of your rod, which then um, presses up against where you've got the rod in the holder. And you have got to try and pull the rod straight, then pull it up to get it out of the rod holder. And then you're in business. Um, so, yeah, I haven't let them run too much because I'm in tiger country and, and I'm only in shallow breaking water. And if I let them run too far, uh, I'm only causing myself a problem. So my way of thinking is I want to try and stop them before they go too far. It's really great that you've finally joined us in the the 21st century, Stinker. (laughs) Oh, look, 
It, I I just love the whole. The, the, when I see that rod, tip bend over so the tip of the rod nearly hits the surface of the water, and you hear the real scream. You think this is all worth it. everything I've ever complained about. Forget it, because this is fun. <laughs> oh, well, tight lines, mate, and many more fish to come. Catch you next time on the big fish. Hurry. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. It's the Big Fish, and boy, have we got a story about a big fish for you. Former ABC foreign correspondent Scott Bevan has had an encounter with a huge shark in the tranquil waters of Lake Macquarie on his kayak. Scott's written a book called The Lake, uh, which is a terrific uh, read about, uh, well, a paddler's perspective of that incredible body of water. It's a beaut place and it's right in Scott's backyard. Scott, you've covered the mean streets of Moscow as our reporter in Russia. How did this experience rank? G'day there, Scott. It was fine. It's uh, You're right, I did come across a few sharks in Russia, far away from the water. <laughs> and uh, these, this one I encountered on Australia Day, uh, I find far more preferable. And tell us about that uh, Australia Day adventure with your friends. It's a bit of a a regular uh, event, I believe. Well, it's an institution now. It's grown into an institution. It began as a get-together, and then through the years it's grown into an institution that I am late to coming to, but proud to be on the tail end of it, where a bunch of kayakers get together each Australia Day to commemorate and celebrate that day by paddling the length of Lake Macquarie, and they call it the length of the lake, this particular paddle. So we set off from Spears Point at the northern end of Lake Macquarie and paddle, paddle, paddle down the western shores, past Toronto, over to Pulbara Island, then across down the southwest side of the lake until we get to Chain Valley Bay about six and a half, seven hours later. And 28.3 kilometres, may I say. Wow, saw bottoms all round, but a a lovely (laughs) waterway. Let's hope there's a a gale up your tail, you know, coming from the Spears Point end to uh, get you down there. Although, yeah, the nor'easter would push you down the lake, I think, sort of. That's true, but no uh, nor'easter really on Australia Day. It was perfect paddling conditions. It was, it was oily, oily calm, wasn't it? And you've sent it me this so incredible calm. photo. Just describe the perspective because it's taken with the the bow of your kayak, proudly flying an Australian flag. And it just is quite extraordinary, the size of this fish. It was a big fish, and it was between Wanji Wanji, a point, uh, the point of Wanji Wanji, and Pulbara Island. So as folks who fish on there would know, that's a stretch of just over a K of water that we're paddling across. And as we were nearing Pulbara Island, I looked across and I said to a fellow paddler, Tom Cordlingly, I said, Tom, Look what's coming our way. I could see a fin weaving its way through the water and it was coming closer and closer. And it became obvious pretty quickly, oh, it's a shark. And then it became really obvious it was a big shark. And it swam in front of us. I couldn't exactly tell, maybe five or six metres. It ambled past. It didn't seem concerned by us at all. Ambled past us and there were 13 of us paddling. So we looked behind and shouted to the others, there's a shark, just stay still. And it ambled past and around us. And Tom was the one who actually took the photo. Tom's the courageous one with all his wits about him so that not only does he watch the shark, he remembers to pull his 
phone out to take a shot. And so from the dorsal fin to the tail fin, we're guessing, and it is pure guesswork here, Scott, that the uh, fish would have been about four metres long. One of the uh, other paddlers, uh, Ron, he thought it may have been a hammerhead. And Ron at one point was the closest to the shark because it sort of bent around him, circled around, or not right around him, but it uh, did its turn around Ron. So if anyone was well-placed to see what sort of shark it was, it would be Ron. So Ron thought it was a hammerhead. I didn't see the head. I saw a part of the body and thought, boy, that's a, a thick body. And so that's still up for discussion, and no doubt the discussion will go on and on, Scott. As- My money is on hammerhead. I'd, I'd bet a fair bit that it's a hammerhead. Um, just looking at the fin configuration and the length of it they get so big and they're, fi- they're fish eaters uh, they're fish eaters so they you know that part of the lake is, is rich in schooling tailor and, and the rest of it they'll eat stingrays as well and, and you know eat whatever they, they see it's really relief mate at least you didn't say they're, they're fond of eating kayakers so this is good <laughs> scott it's great to talk to you and the book the lake certainly is a, a wonderful look at this uh, biggest of our coastal saltwater lakes. Um, Gee, there's some exploring to be done there. It's extraordinary. And I did it, Scott, to get to know my backyard. And you think, oh, it's a lovely-looking lake. But as I paddled it, I realised, oh, there's all these stories, these layers of human experience going back, of course, to the the First Nations people, the Awabakal, the people of the lake who paddled it for thousands of years. And then along come the Europeans and there's history all the way around it and there's characters all the way around it. And as you point out, it's Australia's largest coastal saltwater lake, permanent saltwater lake. And so it is this vast reservoir of stories about us. And for those of us who love living by or on the water, it is just an extraordinary place to live and to explore and discover. Well, Scott, the next time you go, I might come with you and I'll show you how to run a a lure out the back and catch your dinner as well. You know, mate, I'd be concerned about what would be attracted to that. It might well be a four-metre shark. You're welcome to paddle with me, but leave your lines at home, will you? Will do. Thanks so much, Scott Bevan. See you later, mate. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.